Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. After giving Isaiah a long, I'm talking a long list of warnings and woes to the then condition of Israel, warnings against false prophets, against other nations who are polluting Israel with paganism, woes against harmful political leaders within their own country, against religious hypocrisy, and building alliances with the world. After all of this, after the list and the chapters of the warnings and the woes, God then shares a vision with Isaiah. After giving him warning after warning, judging the condition of the hearts of his people who have rebelled against him, God decides to pull the curtain and to show Isaiah the condition of what his heart looks like. Now, it would be easy for any of us, especially those at that time, it would be easy to to think that God's heart is hard, or it's a stone, perhaps, based on all of the warnings and all of the woes, but Isaiah is shown that the heart of the Almighty of the one who spoke and creation listened, who told darkness to become light, of the one that has angels bow down to him. Isaiah is shown that Jehovah's heart is that of a lamb. And God says, O Israel, do not be afraid. I will come for you. I will come with vengeance on those who are against you. I will come and save you. And then, at this point in time, Isaiah is given a vision. She's shown a desert. There's no life. There's no fruit. There's nothing. It's just a desert. Is all he can see. And after after all of the judgment that has been described to Isaiah for the last 10 chapters comes to truth. When God does what he says he's going to do, at that point in time, it's this, this, something remarkable happened in the vision. Isaiah then can see before his eyes that the desert started to transform. It, it started to look... Di- it's as if the land itself knew that it was in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. And it started to show off the Creator's handiwork. And there before Isaiah's eyes, he can see in the desert 
that there were now living water coming out from the sand, streams pouring in. It even says that the, that the sand itself, the burning sand, became ponds of water seeping in from the bottom. And then the vision, as he keeps to look, it says that once, once the land, this, this land was filled with jackals and predators, is now fields of grass and fruit for his people to sit and to eat and be in his presence and protection. And then Isaiah sees that the blind was given their sight, that the ears of the deaf were open, that the lame there, they were leaping for joy, and the mute who could not speak are now shouting the praises of God. For now, in his vision, God's people are free. And then the voice of God says to Isaiah, I will build a highway to this land. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not be able to journey on it. It will be for those who walk with me. There will be no lions or ferocious beasts on this path. Only the redeemed will have access to it. They will enter my, my city singing. Everlasting joy will, will crown their heads. Gladness will overtake them. And sorrow will flee away. And then at this point, the vision that Isaiah was seeing was over. And Isaiah, at this point, filled now with joy, uncontrollable joy, goes to the king of Israel, King Hezekiah, and he shares the good news. And to fear not, my king, for our Lord God is building a highway. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that your spirit move among us. I pray for those, the words in your scripture that are true the day they were true were before they were written to now. That, Father, I pray more than anything that I don't come here to cause confusion of any type, but only clarity of your truth, of your gospel. God, I pray for my own heart, for my own condition, to be standing at this pulpit bringing this word. Father, if you find any fault in me, forgive me, Lord. And that I always speak your truth and your gospel. If I say anything else, then I want you to rip it away from my tongue. But Lord, I just pray that together, all of us here, we walk out knowing what our God wants from us. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I wasn't here last week, and I'm excited about preaching today. Alan, I want to say thank you for stepping in and to preach. I've heard wonderful things about what took place this last Sunday. And I want to say, we've already been hit on it a few times, but Jeremy is talking about, you know, talking about the holiness retreat. You know that's coming, right? You've heard this, right? Everyone should be doing this. Yeah, okay, just making sure. 
And so that's this coming weekend, which means now that we're, we're coming to the close to the end here of, of our five-week uh, preparation study, if you will, series into the holiness retreat, preparing for holiness. And so if you haven't signed up and you're, and you're here, we want you to be here. We want you to be a part of that. And so if computers aren't your thing, there's papers in the back, just something, we just want you here and be a part of that. And that starts on Friday. And so far, what, what we kind of talked about as, as, a, as a church leadership, we thought when we were going into this holiness retreat, we, we didn't want it to kind of be a surprise, like, oh, oh it's a holy, you know, let's rip the veil, oh, now it's the holiness retreat, let's talk about holiness. But we wanted to, hopefully, through God's grace, maybe just get the soil ready for a little bit leading up to the retreat. And so we, for the last several weeks, we've been diving into the topic of holiness. We've looked at it through the eyes of the Old and New Testament. We've seen what, what holiness looks like at that, what it looks like you know, in the times of Isaiah to the times of the New Testament. But I'm going to say now, you know, really, I guess, when we've gone through it, when we've looked at all of the different holiness aspects that we've picked out in the Scripture, is that we, we've seen Maybe, I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe this is wrong, but maybe we've seen just how easy or how hard it is to grasp that concept of holiness. So today, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was starting this study and preparing the message today, I became very fascinated with Peter's opinion on holiness, on this particular individual, his perspective on holiness. I became very fascinated by it because, you see, unlike the prophets of the Old Testament, Peter, you know, because the prophets of the Old Testament were given actual visions of holiness. They were able to see holiness and holy living. But Peter spent physical time with the actual God in flesh. There's probably no one else who can live out a better example of holiness than that. And so when I want to look at holiness, I want to see, I want to know about the guy that spent some time with the physical flesh of God right before his eyes. And so he, he dives into that. Now, again, I'm going to say my guess is, is, is there's no better example. However, Peter struggled with it as much as you and I do. Just because he was there, just because he saw it in person right before his eyes, didn't make it any easier for him to follow or to, or, or to grasp or to embrace. In fact, when we read the Gospels, Jesus rebuked Peter more than any other disciple. Peter, by the way, was the only disciple who rebuked Jesus. He rebuked him. Peter denied Jesus more frequently and publicly than any other disciple. Jesus even compared Peter to Satan when he told the disciples that he must die. I have to do this. And then Peter tried to stop him, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I'm not going to let you do this to me, because I have to do this. 
I mean, this sounds like, if I, when I read the story of Peter, sounds like a guy that really has his whole holiness thing figured out. But despite his constant failures and rebukes, Jesus shows Peter time and time again who he is. It's the same thing that was shown to Isaiah. Proclaimed by John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes all the sin of this world. Peter is in the physical presence of God's heart. He's seeing God's heart in flesh. The heart of a lamb. It was Peter that Jesus said, you will be a fisher of men. It was Peter that he called out on the sea to walk. It was Peter who saw Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was Peter who told Jesus, when Jesus came to, to wash his feet, he said, don't just wash my, wash my whole body. Wash everything there is of me, Lord. And it was Peter that Jesus appeared to personally on the day of his resurrection. So maybe, just maybe, Peter's holiness journey isn't all that different than ours. Filled with failures, but always followed by grace. So yeah, I became interested in his thoughts on holiness. Now, Peter says that we need to take this holiness thing seriously. He says, take it from me. I, I, I've seen it. You see, he writes here in 1 Peter, he writes that you need to prepare your minds for action. You need to be self-controlled, he says. Don't let the world intoxicate your mind with things that won't last. Instead, he says, instead, rest your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus returns. Now, Peter right here, he's telling them, he's telling us, he's telling them that, that the Jesus, that the same Jesus that he followed, he saw die, he saw resurrected and ascended, that same Jesus will return again. The same one. Not a different one. Not a redo or a reboot. Not the live action version versus the animated. It's the same one that will come back and return to us. But this, I'm going to say here, when he does, this is what Peter just said, when he does do that, he will be bringing with him grace to those who call upon him. This is powerful stuff. Let me, let me say, this is giving you and me a real look at the gift of grace. See, grace isn't just for the past things that you did when you went to the cross. That it's, that it's just covering the things you've already done. Grace is not just for us living in the present, that we're living in God's grace. But here, Peter clearly defined that grace is also for the future, for the things yet to come. 
And here it says that Jesus will bring his grace, that the future when he comes, according to Peter, will be brought to us. He will bring it to us. Because without it, we will not be able to stand before God, even on our best day. And so when he comes to return, he is bringing the grace with them to say, come and stand before the creator. And he's bringing it. So what then are we supposed to do until then? Are we just to sit and wait and say, I'm ready? What are we going to do until then? Well, Peter tells them. He tells them that we are to follow one simple command. Just one thing, he says. It's a command that can be traced all the way back to the law of Moses. A command seen in visions all throughout the Old Testament. A command that was lived out in the life of Jesus. Peter says, live holy. Live holy. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now this holiness that is talking about, this be holy for I am holy, this holiness referenced is not the same thing as a moral compass. That's not what it's referring to. It's not saying, well, do these actions and you'll be like me. No, it's saying, literally saying in Hebrew, he's saying, be separate. Be separate. That's what it's actually saying. Be separate. God is not of this world, but he's separate from it. He's separate from our world. And instead of building a wall around his holiness, he is instead bringing us into it. He's he's sharing it with us. So this command isn't a reprimand, be holy, for I'm holy, but an invitation, be holy, because I'm holy. And he's wanting you to come and share in with him. Now, we might be thinking, because I think this too, but that's too much to ask. We can't fulfill the command. Why would God give us a command that we can't follow? That's a big order to ask, to be holy, to be separate, God. What does that even mean, to be separate? Now, I'm going to tell you that this would be true. This command would be impossible to follow if we were left on our own. But Peter writes here, he writes that the path to holiness, that that this invitation that's been given was paved by someone else. It's not a path that was paved by gold or by silver, but it was a path that was paved by blood. By the blood of a lamb that had no blemishes on it. A lamb that was righteous. A lamb that was holy. But then how will I know when I'm holy? When will I know that I have received the second blessing? Friends, holiness starts at the cross.
Holiness starts at the cross. The cross, the cross is the hot coal that is touching our lips. That's what it is. It's cleansing us. It's atoning us. That when we stand to our feet, when we've been in the presence of God, when we stand to our feet, holiness is what is written on our knees. It's written, impressed, and pierced onto our hearts. When you have been in the presence of the Father, of the Holy One, His children begin to look like Him. Be holy. Because I am holy. We can't be on our own. Only through Him. And so Peter says, Peter says that when this happens, when this happens, when we live our life like this, then, he writes, then we have been purified. Then, he says, we have been born again. But how can we be so sure? How do we know that this is indeed the truth that will last the test of time? And Peter answers. He answers that question by giving them the same word, the same word that God gave Isaiah when God told Isaiah to go and give comfort to Israel. Go and give comfort to my people. And Isaiah asked the Lord, what shall I tell them? What do you want me to say, God, to your people to give them comfort? And God says, tell them, all men are like grass. And all of their accomplishments are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. When everything in this world fails, not if, but when everything in this world fails, the word of the Lord stands forever. This is why the church hasn't died in the last 2,000 years. This, this isn't to say that the church has always got it right because we haven't. We haven't. But the church is still here today because the word stands forever. It stands forever. Throughout history, throughout history, the world has tried to eliminate and to dismiss the word. The Roman Empire made the scriptures illegal in 303 A.D. and ordered that all of them be burned. Pope Innocent III banned the reading of the Bible in all churches in 1199. In 1842, a large number of Bibles were burned in New York City by a Jesuit priest. In the 1940s, Nazi Germany banned the reading of the Bible and burned an estimated 70 
tons of scripture. The Soviet Union burned the Bible, stating that the government is the only true God. And still to this day, it is illegal to possess a Bible in 52 countries. The world has been trying to have a funeral service for God's word since the resurrection. And many times, several times throughout our history, the world has gone to prepare the funeral the procession, got the tombstone already made up, and has even read the committal to convince us that God is dead. But the very thing replacing Saying God is dead, replacing his word with only chaos, confusion, and division every time. But fear not, my friends. Because the reason that we are still talking about him 2,000 years later is because his word never stays in the grave but does the very thing that gave it power in the first place. For when the world, for when the world goes to open the tomb that they have placed on the scripture, when they have opened it, the only thing that they are greeted with is why are you looking for the living among the dead? For the word, for God's word is built on resurrection. And it always does. It always comes. <clears throat> it happened on the third day after the cross. It happened on the day of Pentecost. It happened in the Roman Empire. It happened during the Great Awakening. It happened during the Crusades of the 1950s, the Jesus Revolution of the 1970s, and it is happening right now. His word is being resurrected before our eyes now. Right now, today. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Stands forever. Church. Yes, because it's his word, not mine. It's his word. I probably wouldn't be doing giving my life to this if it wasn't. Because you know why? I will wither. And I will fall. Just as the, the grass and the flowers will. But even when I'm not here and I'm gone, his word will stand forever. Church, we must rid ourselves of sin. Of malice of deceit, of hypocrisy, envy, slander. We have got to get rid of all of the chaos, all of the confusion, and all of the division. This is what the world replaces the word with. They will only direct you to emptiness and loneliness. It will never fulfill you. A system built on division will fall and God's word will stand forever and it very well could be 
Maybe you don't know the actual word of God. Maybe you know a version that has been passed to you. Maybe a, a different format, a different version, a cut and paste version that says, that's not for me. Friends, you have to go and look for yourself. Go into the scripture and find the real gospel, the true gospel, not a version of it, and not the 30-second sound bite we get on the news, but the real saving grace of Jesus Christ. Because when we dive into the real word, when we actually open it, and we look to see for ourselves all this, this, this division, this, this anger, this chaos will be. And how you know it's real, how you know it's not a version of it, is that all of a sudden it'll just happen. All those things will then become love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, and yes, even self-control. The Spirit of the Lord is falling on His people. It is happening. A highway of holiness is being built and our heart, my heart, must be ready to travel on that road when it opens for it will be a path only for the redeemed. Are you ready for his spirit to fall on you? Are you ready to travel on the highway to holiness? If you are not, then come. Come and reach out to him the real God, the one who is moving among us now, not in an emotion, but the all creator, the powerful almighty God himself. Are you, are you in that place in your heart, in your mind and in your life where you are just being attacked with the things of this world? with the chaos, confusion, and division. Or perhaps it can even be the evil one, Satan, who is putting things into your heart and into your mind that's preventing you from coming and receiving love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness and the one that I know we struggle with self-control be with him now for he is the savior not me be with him
Father, just in your presence. Lord, as the melody is singing, Father, we pray that all of our hearts, that each of us be in that remnant of the redeemed, Lord. But Father, we pray that God, if there's anything unclean in us, if we're partaking or are participating in what the world is offering, then God, can you help us see Give us visions like Isaiah to see that only you, Lord, only you are who we are to follow. So, Father, forgive us when we forget that we belong to you. And forgive us, Lord, when we choose the world instead of you. We want you. And Lord, we pray that your spirit fall afresh on us. And I pray that. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.